Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to look at your word. We thank you that you love us enough that you died for our sins, that we could be able to spend eternity with you. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 14, starting at verse 12. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, when the land sins against me by tree trespassing grievously, then I will stretch out my hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord. If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land, and they spoil it, so that it, it be desolate, that no man may put, pass through it because of the beast, Though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They shall only be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon the land and say, Sword, go through the land, so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, I will deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only they shall be delivered. Or if I send pestilence into their land and pour out my fury upon upon it in blood to cut off the man and the beast. Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall deliver their own souls by their righteousness. So we're going to look at this because this is God pronouncing a judgment upon the people that is to come. Now, whether it's coming at that time or future, I believe it's talking about future because these people are already in captivity, so there's not much left. And, there's, and we haven't seen quite this severe a transaction by God upon anything until, until the end time that Revelation talks about. But it says, Son of Man, in verse 13, When the land sins against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it, and will break the staff of bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. Now we note here that it says when the land trespasses grievously and land here is literally the inhabitants, the people, when they, when they act treacherously and un, unfaithfully, God will act. And we've seen this in a couple of times. We see this in Noah's day when everybody did what was right in their own eyes and God judged the world. We see it all through the book of judges where the people started sinning and doing what was right in their own eyes and God sends plagues and, and famines and, and persecutions on them and they would repent and come back. We see it even in this time where the Ezekiel is talking about the people are being taken into captivity and, they, if, and in the captivity of Babylon it was in multiple waves. It, all the people weren't taken out at one time. They came in, conquered the land, took out the best of the people and put a, put a king in place of the, the, the king they took out. And he, he rebelled, and they had to go back in and take out more people. And then he put another king in the, in the, on the throne, uh, and he rebelled. And then he just finally said, okay, that's it. We're done. So we look at this and says, when the land sins against me by trespassing grievously, we are now approaching in our world this period where Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. They're just, whatever God says, they do the opposite of almost all the time. And it's kind of an amazing thing. We as Christians, when we try to hold up the word of God and say, this is God's standards, 
we get laughed at, we get criticized, we get, we get accused of following old mythologies and not, not evolving with the times and the people. And I was talking with somebody just the other day and they go, well, lots of good churches believe these things are okay. And I'm going, well, you and I will define good church totally different. <laughs> My de definition of a good church is one who believes God's word and stands upon it. But here it's applying the world's definition on what a good church is. And they're looking at it from the world's point of view. Basically, they mean they probably have a food pantry and a clothes closet and provide rides and do all these good things to help people other than maybe helping their soul. And if you tried to help their soul and call sin a sin, all of a sudden you're not a good church. You're a judgmental church. You're being mean-spirited and all these things that they're going to call us. But we need to be careful of this. We cannot change what God says to try to please people. And this is going to become a bigger and bigger problem as we get more into this land sinning against God as a, as a people. And we're seeing it in our world. Everything that is good is being called bad. I mean, it's amazing out there that many of the young people have no intention to ever get married and they plan to be in a relationship with somebody and they don't want to get married because they've seen too many marriages dissolve into divorce because nobody's getting committed to being married. Theoretically, I understand what they're thinking is, From the world's point of view, I definitely understand where, where they're thinking. You have to get them saved and get them into God's word and what God says. Our world it didn't get to this place quickly. It took a long time to get here. It started in the 60s for our country and our purposes. It started around the 60s with all this free exercise of, of sex and the, that free sex was what was out there and you were going to find fulfillment in, in that and nobody found fulfillment in it. And we started growing to the place where fornication was normal. Living together is normal outside of marriage. It's, it's normal. Live with this person until you're no longer happy with them and then get rid of them. You don't have to go to court. You just, you, you've been living together. You're not, you're not legally bound. So when you're tired of each other, you just get rid of each other. But it is things that are going on right now that are causing problems with this world. We've got homosexuality now being considered good. We've got all these different things. And as soon as they start approving of homosexuality according to the, to the Supreme Court, Almost immediately you started hearing pedophilia and, and bestiality being proposed as, well, if, it, if homosexuality is okay, why aren't these okay? And polygamy is going to come back up with a vengeance with the, with the because as soon as you unhinge the definition of marriage from the standard and say something else can go, then the floodgates open up for anything to go. And this is the problem with any sin. As soon as you unhinge it from God's laws that saying it's bad and say it's okay in any one area, the floodgates open up to make it get worse. And this is why we as Christians have to hold on to God's standards. It'll make us very unpopular with people. There are many churches that will not talk about sin being sin because the pastor's afraid of losing people if they say that there's such a thing as sin. And I'm not saying they're Christian or non-Christian. That's between them and God. But if they don't have enough courage to stand up for what God says, I have trouble with believing that they can have any standard to call themselves a Christian. And this is something, when people say they're a Christian, but they don't believe God's word, they don't, wanna, they don't, want, they don't believe in Jesus, whatever, you know, whatever other parts they don't want to believe, it's like, well, define what a Christian is then. We see this more and more. When the world, when the land goes against God, 
he will unleash punishment. And this is, we know that it's coming. Revelation is all about God unleashing his punishment, trying to draw people in. We saw it at the end of the, of the Jewish people in 70 AD when they reject, turned their back on God and God let Rome disperse them through the world. We saw in this period that we're looking at when, a, when Babylon came in and conquered them because of their sin. We saw it during the, the judges where they kept being put under different people all because they did what was right in their own eyes. And when we do what's right in our own eyes, we will sin. It's just a simple, simple fact. We are sinful beings. When we do what's right in our eyes, it will be sin. It's just a automatic. The only way we're going to even begin to do what's right is when we focus on God and, and say, God, I want you to help me live the way you want me to live. And that's going to be hard decisions often for us because it's not easy to, to do things God's way. The world comes against you all the time. Uh, when you go out, you know, when, when I used to go out to managers' party, uh, parties and stuff that they would be, hold, all these people going, well, you can, you can take this drink or you can do this, you can do that. I go, I don't want to do these things. But there were pressure all the time to, to be part of the crowd. And for many people, that being part of a crowd is a huge issue for them because they want to be part of the crowd. And it takes a different thinking pattern to say, no, I'm going to stand with God's crowd, which is why we need each other as believers so that we can draw upon each other's strength and be accepted in a godly point of view rather than a, the sinner's point of view. But God says, when this happens that he will stretch out his hand and he will break the staff of bread and send famine upon the land and cut off man and beast from it. Famine is the first step in judge judgment. We see it over and over in many places. Famine. And this doesn't necessarily have to be just physical famine. There's also a lot of spiritual famine out there. There's places where it's hard to find God's word out there. And we're finding it more and more in our own world. Try to find anything that is in the entertainment world that is of spiritual value, and it's hard to find. Yeah. I mean, even it doesn't sell. It doesn't sell. <laughs> it's hard to. It's hard. The even when you listen to like the Christian radio channels, some of that music is is not biblical music out there. <laughs> Uh, sometimes you watch Christian movies, and much of the Christian music uh, mu movies are not necessarily good theological-based uh, movies. This is why we have to be careful and keep our focus on God at all times, and we need to be in His Word, keeping our mind fresh and washed and cleaned. Because without His Word, we're not going to know right from wrong because there's so many activities out there to, to work against it. And this is why we have to really encourage one another. Yeah, you're doing good. I like that. That's wonderful. It's great seeing you grow. It's great whatever it might be. I love seeing, seeing you come to church. I love seeing you reading your Bible. I love it when people go, I'm on schedule with the Bible reading schedule. I'm, I'm keeping, keeping up. You know, what are we learning? How are we learning it? Are we going to keep moving with God and not suffering famine spiritually and physically. And this world is going to come to a place where it's going to exp 
experience famine. And it's quite interesting to watch it. We in America are still kind of spoiled. We, we still generally have quite a bit of food. Much of the world, though, does not have a lot of food. A lot of the world is literally starving. This is the sad thing, but it's going to get worse. Revelation tells us that when the seal, the seal is broken, that it will say a one measure of food, enough to make one loaf of bread, will go for a full day's wages. That's a pretty big cost. And it'll be out there, and it's coming. Everything you do will be just to stay alive. And that's not too, too long ago where that was true in the past, that it took you for different reasons, different parts. But we're going to, we're going to see a crashing of the economy, and, and economists are predicting it just around the corner that our world has been kept up artificially for so long that it's got to crash. And when it crashes, it's going to be severe. And I believe then we'll be in that seal judgment that says we're close to the end because it's going to be something that's going to be hard to come back from. But God says when the people are disobedient, he's going to send famine. He's going to send judgment. But we see over and over that Translation is not an easy decision. And there's two different schools of thought on translation. You, you translate thought by thought. You just take the verse and you say this is what it means. And you translate it by, by its thought. Or you go literally word by word by word. And, that's, and if you do it that, then you're not changing the order or anything else. And it kind of reads hard to us in English. So, and then you have various hybrids of the two where they try to mix the... Mix the two together. Okay, verse 14. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord. Now this is kind of an interesting note that God puts out there. Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he was able, in his generation that was doing everything according to their own <laughs> imaginations, and he was able to save his family. Eight, eight people in all. Daniel. It's amazing that Daniel's in this list because Daniel is a contemporary at this point in time. He's raising in power, and yet he's in this list. And he says if Daniel was there, he would only save himself. And this is Daniel as one who's helping Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, being a helping get the people established. And then he throws Job in there, righteous Job, who went through, and God said that there was none perfect like Job, was his testimony to Satan. And he's saying, three of the biggest names that he could picture in the Old Testament, if these people came along, they would still only save themselves with how bad the world is getting. And you've got to think about how bad has that got to be because, as I said, Noah's in this list. And the description of Noah is that they did what was, every man did what was right in his own imagination, according to his own imagination. That's pretty bad. And yet it's saying, in this day, which is, this statement here is why I think it's talking about right at the tribulation period, you know, right before we, God takes the church out for the tribulation because... The day when Noah lived, everybody did what was according to their own imagination, and God judged the entire world, it's coming, another judgment like that, where people do what's right in their own eyes. And we're going to see it again. And this is going to be 
we've talked about this. We had the flood, and a very short period later, we had the Tower of Babel where they were trying to reach God, and, and, and all the false religions were, were in Nimrod's mystery Babylon religion. God messed up the languages, scattered the people, and they went all around the world with new languages. We're becoming back to the place of Babel now, where everybody's trying to, we're trying to bring all the religions back together. Every, we've overcome the language barrier because we can, you, know, you either know how to speak languages or you can get them translated. Our phones can do that for us nowadays. When, if you're traveling, you can type in or speak your words and out, out will come a translation and they can speak their words and out will come a translation for you. Uh, you can get on the internet and you can go to a website that's not in the right language and translate it instantly into your into English, it's, you know, we, language is no longer a problem, and look where we're headed. We're headed more and more away from God's standards into what the world says is okay. This world is getting evil. How much more evil does it have to get before God says it's enough? I don't know. I, I, it scares me sometimes when I look at how evil the world's getting and wonder, okay, God, how much more? How much more until you come back and take, a, take your church home and let this world be given over to Satan for seven years and then come back. How much longer? It is kind of scary when you look at it, especially when you think about little kids that know no better, and if their parents aren't careful, stand no chance of knowing God. This is a scary time, and God says it's coming. All over the place, he says it's coming. This is something that he says, even if these three, these three guys that are epitome of righteousness in their lives. He could have thrown Joseph in there because Joseph never seemed to have had anything wrong in his life. But he says if these three righteous men were there, they would still only save themselves. This is something that is kind of a scary thought when we look at the future because this is talking about future. It's going to be pretty bad. It's so bad that God's going to say, nope, no, no family stuff. Now, does that mean that you can't train your family up to be righteous? No, it just means that each person is going to stand on their own righteousness and their own decisions. And this is why it's so important, and I stress this so often, we need to minister to our kids. We need to minister to our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews. They need to know what it means to follow Jesus because it's an individual decision. Nobody's going to stand on stand and fall because mom and dad were Christians. I've, I've witnessed to people, I've heard people, well, grandpa was a, was a pastor. I'm going, oh, that's wonderful, but what about you? You know, what, what is your really, well, grandpa was really good. I don't care about your grandpa. That, that's between him and God. He might be in heaven, you know, but what are you, what have you done with God? What have you done with Jesus? Where are you going to spend eternity? Why are you a Christian? Yeah. And this is something we have to make sure that everybody understands. It is a personal decision that you have to make for God. And very critical that we, that we bring our, our family especially to this. Because I hope that we like our family well enough to want to be in eternity with them. <laughs> and not see them go to hell. I don't, I don't want to see anybody go to hell because hell is an awful place. And the problem is most of us don't understand the horrendous nature of hell. Otherwise, we'd be motivated to, to no end to witness and bring, make sure that people don't go there because it is not some place you'd want an enemy to go to. For eternity. 
for eternity. All right, verse 15 says, If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land and they spoil it so that it become desolate, that no man may pass through that because of the beast, though these three live, were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They will only deliver, be, only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. So in other words, he's saying he makes it to waste. He puts wild beasts in it. And this is something, again, Revelation talks about a time when the wild beasts are going to run pretty rampant in this world. And whether that's because they've just been unleashed or, or, or not being held back by God or whatever reason, God's going to let them ram, ravish the world. And again, he says, if I let this happen, no one's going to be delivered. These, three, these four uh, judgments Ezekiel has already talked about on several occasions. Famine, beast, pestilence, and war. And he keeps going over and over with those, these three, uh, these four judgments of God sending. And these are the judgments that God has sent over the world over the periods of times and uses them. Uh, verse 17 is the sword. If I bring the sword upon the land and say, sword, go through the land so that I, so that I cut off man and beast from it, though these three were in it, as I live, says the Lord, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered. So he sends in war. And again, we've talked about this. The judges had this over and over again where they would be disobedient to the God and God would send a nation in to conquer them. We see that in Assyria. We see this in Babylon. We see it in Rome. We see it over and over in the Jewish, Jewish people, but we also see it happening over and over with God's people. He sends in judgment. And again, we're looking at the end times with all of these things. All of these things are very clear part of the end time. And then it says in verse 19, Or if I send a pestilence or plagues or diseases into the land and shall pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut it off from man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their, own, by their righteousness. This is something that we're going to see more and more of. God's judgment falling. And I believe we're starting to see it in our, even our world right now when we see more and more trouble in America. Bad weather, all these, storm, all these you know, storms of the century stuff going on. I believe God's trying to wake up our country and saying, are you going to turn to me? The next step will be famine and plagues and, and you know, attacks. Because this country started on the right foundation with God. It was a godly country. Based on Christian, based on Christian principles. With our founding fathers saying that it was the morality of Christian principles that this country was made for. And the further we've gotten away from his principles, the more evil we're seeing in our country. Because a democracy or a republic cannot work without godly people in making the decisions. Cannot. And we've seen this over and over as we have, as Americans, has tried to export democracy. It doesn't work in places where there is not a moral basis to the people. We need to be watching out for what God asks us to look for. Judgment's coming, if it's not already here. And I believe much of what's going on is already judgment. Storms where we haven't had storms before. Tornadoes where tornadoes never happen. Earthquakes happening where earthquakes don't happen. You know, severe weather where things just don't ever get that bad. 
God is just starting to put the finger on this, on this country and the rest of the world, saying it's time to pay attention. And we need to be careful because it's going to get worse as God is trying to say, I'm the one. I'm the one you're to worship. Quit trying these designer, designer religions where you mix all the religions together and come up with your own, make yourself God and come up with your own. Quit trying to honor everything but me. And this is something that we need to be very careful of. We need to take a stand. We need to be a shining light on the hilltop that people see that's how a Christian lives. Even though we're out of step with the world. And, and it's going to be, we're going to be more and more out of step with the world as it goes along. And we stay, no, God says you're to stay married for, for, for your time. You're to stay faithful. You're to stay honest. You're to stay uh, righteous. And all the things that mean righteousness in there. I mean, just being truthful is getting, getting to be something that people don't expect. And it's, you know, when you talk to a salesman and you know a salesman's going to lie to you anymore. It's just, it's just the way it is in this world. We, we need to be very careful of all of this stuff that we are going to stand out different. We need to be people of our word. We need to be honest. We need to be people that are shining example in the way that we live. And this is how the church got off the ground in the first place, because in a Roman Empire, they stuck out like a sore thumb. They were honest. They, were, they cared for each other. They, they were faithful to their spouses. They were faithful to their vows. In a world that did not, did not understand vows in the first place, much less being faithful to them. We're looking at being what God has asked us to be. And he says, we're to stand out. We're going to stand out. Verse 21, For thus saith the Lord God, How much more when I send my four sore judgments upon Israel, the sword, the famine, the noisome beast, and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast? Yet behold, therein shall be left a remnant that shall be, be bought, brought forth both sons and daughters. Behold, they shall come forth unto you, and you shall see their way and their doings. And ye shall be comforted concerning the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem even concerning all that I have brought upon it. And they shall comfort you when, when you see their ways and their doings. And ye shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done in it, says the Lord God. And this is where God says he's going to have a remnant. God always has a remnant of people. He's going to have a remnant in the Revelation, 144,000 Jews going out evangelizing and bringing out people out of the, out of the mass into the remnant. When uh, Elijah complained to God, God, I'm the only one still serving you. God says, I've got 5,000 who haven't bent their knees to, ba to Baal. Always has a remnant. In Noah's day, it was Noah and his family that were the remnant, very small remnant. All through the church age, Christianity has had a remnant of true believers in spite of all the, all the bad going against them. There was a remnant that followed after God and held the truth. The Catholic Church tried to crush them over the, over the centuries, and yet they held up. But we see he has a remnant. Here he says, there's going to be a remnant, and I'm going to lift them up. And I love the way he says it. He says, both sons and daughters, shall, and, they, and you shall see them come out before you, and you shall see their way and their doings, 
and you shall be comforted concerning the evil I brought upon Jerusalem. Why does God bring evil upon people? It is to try to drive them back to him. And he says, you're going to see what happened. The remnant is going to be pure. The remnant is going to stand forward and you're going to see the good things they do. And this takes us into what James keeps saying. You, you say that you're a believer. Show me your belief and your, and your faith by what you're doing. Does he, does he say that you cannot be a believer and not do anything? No, he didn't say that, but he says you're going to have a hard time proving it. How do you prove that you're a follower of Jesus if you live like the world? God, I'm following you. I really trust in you, and you're, and you're doing everything the world does. It's, I'm not going to say you're not believing in him, but you're going to have a hard time proving that, you, that he's your Lord and Savior and Master when you can't look at, at any part of your life and say, God, this is where I'm changing. He doesn't say it's impossible. He just says you're not going to be able to prove it. And when we are changed, we live differently, and people look at us and say, yes, I can see Christ in you. I can see that you are different. You're not out there partying. You're not out there having a different, different uh, partner every, every week. Uh, you're not out there having a different partner every day, whatever, whatever the current, current standard is. He goes, you're, you have a standard. You're following it. You may not be perfect, but you have a standard, and you're trying to follow it. David fell a lot of times, but what was the... What was the biggest characteristic about David when he fell? He would repent and he'd come back up yeah, to serve God. And this is why it's very important for us as believers in him. Are we going to be perfect? Absolutely not. But when we fall, what do we do? And I've heard lots of people who say they're Christians go, well, that's just human nature. It's no big deal. No, wrong answer. Wrong answer. It is human nature. But... My attitudes would be, I am so sorry that I did this. Would you please forgive me and you know, help me live better in the future? To make an excuse of, well, that's just human nature. It's just the way we are. No, that's not following Christ and being part of the remnant. We need to go, man, I, don't I can't believe I did that. I, yes, I know that it was something I wanted to do, but man, I'm so sorry, God. Forgive me. We need to go toward him with that kind of attitude. God, I am sorry I did this. This is not the way I'm supposed to live, and I know that I'm not supposed to live this way. And we repent. Will we, can't, will we fall again in that area? Probably, but then we still repent and we get better at it. It should be further and further in between falls to, a point, to the point where we're victorious over it rather than falling all the time. But it really comes down to what is my attitude when I sin? Well, God, you just know I'm human. I, you know, it's no big deal. Usually we don't talk to God that way, but when I'm around together, well, yeah, I'm just human. You know, it's, it's, it's what we guys do. You know, it's, but we will excuse it amongst each other. I was just in a weak moment. It was just a weak moment and I fell. Instead of admitting, well, hey, I'm a terrible sinner and I really, I fell and I shouldn't have. I've asked God to forgive me. This comes down to, are we looking at it the right way? Am I trying to make excuses for what I'm doing or am I trying to live godly and really being, coming down to saying, I am sorry. Now it took David a little while to get over his sin with Bathsheba, over a year. But when he finally came down to it, he says, God, forgive me, created me a clean heart. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Renew your, the joy of my salvation. He was really sorrowful when he finally gave in. 
Hopefully we don't take over a year to repent from our sins. God can do a lot in our life in a year if we want to wait that long. And David was suffering during that period of time. He knew that he had done wrong. He was not worshiping God. And we need to be careful. We cannot just excuse our actions. We need to come down and say, God, I am sorry. I, I repent. And if we've hurt individuals in our testimony, we need to repent to them too and say, hey, I'm really sorry. I, you know, this last week or this last month, this last year, I have not been a good testimony for Christ. You know, I just want to let you know and ask for your forgiveness as well. Because sometimes that humbleness in front of somebody will be just what they need to say, wow, there's something to this Christianity. You fell, but you were willing to, you, you're, you know that you did wrong and you're, and you're repenting. That one little thing may be just the piece of, that somebody needs. Because if we're always trying to make ourselves look good and look how good I am to somebody, that gets kind of old, especially when they know we're not good. <laughs> Family gets this way with us. You know, well, I know that you're not as good as you're trying to pretend you are. You know, and, they, and that's somebody we probably really need to be able to say, you know what, I'm really sorry. I really messed up this last week. You know, I sinned and I didn't, I didn't give a good example of who God is. That takes a little bit to be that humble and, and, and break our pride can, can hurt sometimes. But it might be just what it takes for somebody to say, oh, okay, I'm going to watch you a little closer and see if this is real. But they're, gonna, but they're looking for something that's real. They want, most of the world expects us to be perfect and they know that they can't be perfect so they're looking for us not to be perfect so they can tear us down. That's a great time to say, man, I am just so sorry. I, I fell and I messed up and God, God's forgiven me. Because people recognize that they could live that kind of life. If you try to make it look like you're a perfect person amongst your family members, you might get away with it unless they live with you. <laughs> yeah, but they're gonna be, there's, that's not a life that they can live. They're going to go, there's no way I can be perfect. I can't be good. And, but when they see that we fall and we repent and God still loves us, it has an impact. It is quite important, though, that we remember there are going to be highs and there's going to be a lot of lows. And we can use the low in our testimony as well because we just let people know, you know, hey, I'm human, I do fail, but I have repented and I've asked God to forgive me my sins, and he has. That can be a very strong witness. Now, if I say I'm just human and I leave it at that point, then I'm just excusing it and making, it, making bad news. But, you know, I'm human, I, I fail, and God, God still forgives me. He still loves me. That's where the power of our testimony can really come in. And then this last little bit is kind of an interesting verse. Verse 23. And they shall be comforted, they shall comfort you when you see their ways and their doings, and you shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done, says the Lord. He says, I'm going to bring harsh punishments on people, but the remnant is going to come out strong. This is just another phrasing of Romans 8.28, for all things work together for good. God says, when you see the results, you're going to understand and you're going to take comfort in all the evil that I brought upon them because you're going to see the others coming out of the end. You're going to see righteousness coming out. This is what's important. And I've, and I've talked about this so many times. When apparent bad things happen to us, we need to realize that God has a purpose in them and that he's working out our righteousness. He's working out our sin. 
so that it could be put on display, so that he gets built up and he gets honor at the end of it all. We come out of the trial. If we if we come out successfully, he gets great honor because he's the one that get, was the strength to allow us to do us. If we come out and we failed, we repent to people and say, you know, we repent to God and we just tell people, man, I messed up and God is still loving me and caring for me. And God still gets built up and still gets edified. Either way. Now, it's a little better for us to come out with God's strength and with it being on top. That really gets him the blessing. But even when we fail and we repent, he still gets blessed and people still get to see the life of how God loves his children in spite of what we do wrong. And this is what we need to come up, understand. It's all God. When he puts me through the trial and he successfully brings me out the other end with a win, he gets glorified because his strength gets to be shown. If I come out the other end, then his, then his mercy and his grace get to be on, a, on display and he still loves us <laughs> and we still love him and he still gets to be lifted up and glorified. So either way, Jesus, God gets lifted up and glorified. We either come out on a victorious side or we have to be humbled and, come and, and, and continue walking and go through the trial again until we get it right. And, but God is always going to be glorified. And when we look at it from a righteous point of view, we watch how God brings people through, how he grows them, how he gets revealed out of them as he burns off the dross. He burns off the evil. He makes things more difficult for us until we finally give in and surrender and he crucifies that flesh and he comes out with a bright, shining reward for us. And those rewards are eternal rewards when we come out on that correctly. But it all comes down to, he's told Ezekiel, you will rejoice when you see the remnant come out of this. All the people that have been hurt because of their rejecting of God and, and everything, but you'll watch the remnant come out. You, and we see this. We see it in our own lives when we come out as part of the remnant at times. And we, we get to lift up God's glory because he brought us through something. We come through something and, and say, God, thank you. You were with me. I was hiding in you and you brought me through the storm. And this is what's most important, that we hide in him always. We can go through the worst storms in life if we are hidden in him. Now, if we want to go stand out in the wind and the rain and the storms, we can get hurt. And if nothing else, we get wet and, wet and uh, wind, wind whipped. <laughs> you know, but usually with the high winds and storms, other things get flying around that, that hurt more. Uh, hail and brimstones and trees and everything else might be flying around. But if we're in him, we're in a tower that protects and we don't have to worry about the storms. And this is what he's saying. We get to the end of all of this, the remnant's going to come forth shining with newness and you're going to look at the way they live and they've been cleaned. They've been purified. And this goes for us. The storms and everything help us to be purified. And we come out either having gone through a whole lot and being purified or coming out because we hid in him and, being, and walking the way he wants and being an example to the world of this is what a Christian looks like. But either way, God gets glory. And he helps to change who we are. All right, let's go ahead and close. 
Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that you have a purpose for all that you do, Lord, and it is so that your glory will be lifted up. Lord, we ask that you strengthen us as we have to make decisions to stay in you. And Lord, we ask that if there's unsaved people in our family, that we have an opportunity to witness to them, verbally and through actions. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.